Father, we are grateful for this evening and just thank you for the um, opportunity to be here and uh, to be able to represent you and while we're in these bodies. And just we pray that you would give us a clear mind that we might be able to understand these things from your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We stopped on page five and um, the, some little gremlin, gremlins got into my computer, so I had to start all over. So I'm probably going to have to pass you out some um, a new outline that last, um, next week. So you might see some different changes <laughs> in your outline. It was just completely missing off my computer, which is really interesting. That's the first time that's ever happened. But um, anyway, so I gave you this um, uh, chart on the type of judgments, just to give you an overall view of the different types of judgments that you see in Scripture. And for those online, I'll see if I can put this online next week. Um, you'll have it. And so you have judgments by God, judgments by men. And so we see the judgments by God that he judged spirit beings. You see angels. We saw that last week. And then Satan, uh, which was judged on the cross. And then you see nations that he judged in the past and in the future. And then Israel, which is going to receive its judgment during the tribulation period. And they were judged even in the past. And the Babylonian uh, captivity is an example of that. And then he judged cities. We see Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, somebody was telling me yeah, the last um, week, and they were talking about, this is a judgment on God. What's going on in this country? And it's always interesting to see. I mean, um, by God. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, words are important. And, and so, and, and you see this with a lot of people. And they say, um, some people have said that uh, at some point in time that God was judging Florida because of uh, Disney uh, was, by, was behind gay and homosexuality, right? Yeah. People said that. I mean, there was a lot of people who said that back in the day when we were here. Um, people said that God was judging this and God is judging that. And so, so I was talking to somebody last week and they were talking about me judging. I said, did you realize that one of the characteristics that you see that when God judged in the Old Testament was that he actually let the people know that they were being judged and that he sent a prophet or someone to alert them that there was judgment coming and that he gave them an opportunity to have a change of mind. That's the characteristic you see, right? And so it's interesting when you have people to say, that say today this is divine judgment from God. I always want to ask the question, how do you know? Where's the verse? See, if God were judging nations today, he would have to wipe them off the map. <laughs> There's a judgment coming of the nations. It's not yet. It's coming. Hold on. He's going to get around to that. Let's not put the... the um, the uh, carriage before the horse. That day's coming. And so, um, but when we proclaim judgment that God is judging a particular group of people because X, I think we run ahead of scripture and I think we have to be very careful of doing that. And so I think that we're living in the wrong dispensation when we do it too. And I just wanted to put that out there. God has been very clear about when he's meeting out judgment to people. You look back through the Old Testament, it's not ambigu it, there's, not, there's not any ambiguity between his judgments. He's very clear, even to the people of Nineveh, right? 
That's very clear. He told them that they, he was going to judge them if they didn't change. And he sent a prophet to them. Right? Let's not do this. Let's not do this. Let's not see God's judgment everywhere. Let's stay with what Scripture says. You see. And it makes Scripture make all the sense in the world. And so, didn't you see that uh, we saw last week that he's going to judge uh, the world, the unbelieving world of mankind, the great white throne judgment, and we're going to get there at some point, where we'll see that everyone that is standing at the great white throne judgment is going to be everyone who has not been judged up to that point. And so, all of the people are going to be there. I remember there was a song we used to sing <laughs> back when we were younger, Look at the people. What are they doing? Standing at the judgment seat. They've got to be tried. And there was this belief that it was a universal judgment. You saw the track, um, This Is Your Life. They used to scare the hiwi. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> I, it used to, yeah, right, the chick track. It used to scare me to death. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I've told you about it, how they had the, the, um, the big screen up there. And you're going up into heaven and everybody's standing in line waiting on their turn. And they're showing the picture of your life. Everything that you did. Every thought you ever had. Every action you ever did. And it shows this guy. He's peeking around the building looking at women. Showed that. Sits, shows him sitting in church looking at his watch. And I wonder what time the game is coming. <laughs> he's watching all of this be replayed uh, in his life. And he's sitting there and said, oh, no, not that. Don't show that part. And then there's the question of, as to whether, where is he going to go? It's all hanging in the balance. You don't know. And we'll find that that's not true from Scripture either. The only ones that are at the great white throne judgment are those who are unsaved. And we'll see that. Um, then you see that God judges saints. We're going to deal with this issue about judgment as it relates to believers. Uh, in this dispensation, because there is no judgment for believers beyond this dispensation. But we do see that God can judge you, if what? If you don't judge yourself. Right? If you don't judge yourself, then God has to step in and judge you. And why does he judge you? We'll see it. So that you won't be condemned with the world. He's not going to let you be condemned with the world. That's not going to ever happen. And in order for him to uh, allow that not to be the case, he steps in and judges you. And then the, the, we saw and uh, talked about it a little bit, and we'll get uh, more specific on the fact that uh, believers are going to be judged, or their works are going to be judged at the beam of seat judgment. <laughs> so then, what's interesting is by men. What's interesting is that I don't see any standards, though you do see that how God judges, and you do see that how he, he asked Israel to judge. Interesting that he doesn't give a standard or lay down a, a, a standard for the unsaved men in their judgment. You know, those people, as he talks about it over in Romans in chapter 13, that these people are uh, God's ministers to execute vengeance. It's really interesting what it says there, upon those who do evil. Right. And so God is using, but he doesn't give a standard. So these people, 
they're subject to do anything. I'm always amazed by Saddam Hussein before he was disposed and disheveled. <laughs> I mean, he was judging that country, and that country really was orderly in a way. Because, I mean, he did some of the craziest stuff, but he kept the people under control. And probably because they were scared of being gassed. <laughs> or whatever crazy stuff that he had in store for them. But it was orderly. And you, you see that God has given government officials the authority to execute vengeance upon those. Uh, though I don't see uh, um, that they've given, been given specific instructions as to how to do it. That they, there's a standard that they should do this by. I don't know that they have the ability to, right? And so you see some of the things that go on in various, uh, uh, among various government officials and such. Uh, and then you have the church. And so the church has been given the responsibility to do self-judgment um, and to also judge unruly believers inside the church. Um, so self-judgment. But again, and we'll, we'll hit upon it a little bit here, is what's, what really jumps out at you is the lack of responsibility or authority for the church to judge the world. I mean, it, it's, it's just non-existence. And if you ask yourself today, how much time is the church spending judging the world versus... Eh, well, let's see. What? Loving the brethren? How about that? What do you think the time factor would be? Would it be out of balance? I would bet that it would probably be out of balance. That the church is spending so much wasted energy and judging the world and not really doing the thing that we're supposed to be doing, which is loving the brethren. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And so it's just really interesting. So I thought just having this uh, chart here would give you a visual of um, kind of where some of the places we've been so far and, and how those judgments look in Scripture. And we'll continue to expand upon some of those. And so we stopped on page five and we were looking at the standard for judging and the standard for those judging God, um, the people of God's affected by each dispensation. And we'll look at this. I didn't delve into as much looking specifically at the judgments of each dispensation that we cross over some of those. And so you know that you have the dispensations and God gave a rule of life in each dispensation. And in each one of those dispensations ended in failure in which God meted out some form of judgment to the people because they failed to live up to that rule of life. So we talked about it a little bit in Genesis with Adam and Eve and what happened there and then you get over and we'll see as we go down and we'll cover a little bit of that dispensationally the um, um, dispensation of conscience and then you get into the human government and you and you see the things that happen but the standard of uh, those judging under law was supposed to be righteous and they were supposed to do it out of wisdom and knowledge and so we looked at the idea of righteousness and then uh, this word wisdom is the word chokma. Um, and out of the ability that, uh, to use what one knows to accomplish matters of government, 
and moral uh, war and moral affairs. And so they were supposed to do it out of a sense of wisdom in, in how they were uh, supposed to enact uh, uh, right judgment. And uh, you would hope that there, was wit there would be wisdom today um, in, in judging, but, you know, <clears throat> there's a point. Um, it's kind of interesting because you see in America uh, that w there was a point when everything was established upon bi biblical standards. It was really bound to fail. You know why? Uh, one thing that they didn't factor in, and I do think the founding fathers did factor this in. I did read some of the things that they factored in, but I don't think that they understood how horrible the sin nature is, right? How horribly wicked the sin nature is. And no matter what rules you put up for it, it's like a monster banging at the door trying to get out. And unless you are consistently judging it, that monster's going to break out. And once it breaks out, it's going to be like the abominable snowman. <laughs> And that's what's happening in our country. It really is. Well, it's not like these things weren't happening before. Or they were happening just behind their closet. I told you about the bumper sticker I saw when I was delivering packages. It was somebody said, would somebody please lock the closet? <laughs> just, let's keep all that stuff in the closet. Well, now it's just all spilling over into uh, everywhere. TV, radio, whatever, it's all, everything's being perverted. But this wisdom they, they were supposed to use, and you see this even in their abilities, um, this word is used of the abilities of those who were, were to make uh, the artisans that were used in the temple. And then uh, knowledge, the word uh, that they were to have knowledge and their ability to, their, their ability to put things together and being able to judge. And that these two things were uh, key to proper judgment. And so what is, it, uh, what is the standard for judgment in a fallen world? What, what, um, what school you graduated from, right? Did you go to the proper school? Was it an Ivy League school? Well, in my cynicism, the Ivy League schools are probably the worst kind <laughs> that you can go to. Um, and so you don't get much coming from there that actually has any sensibilities whatsoever. Um, and so... What was that? We, you, we read that quote about a, a biblical education and how it is more important than any other kind of education you can have. And so you give me a guy with a biblical education, I'll take that guy over a secular education any day of the week. And so we don't always have an appreciation for that. But when you see it as it's meted out in the justice system in America, you can see the difference. No righteousness, no sense of wisdom in any of the things that they do. And so notice the standard of those judging under grace. Um, and so we talked about this with the government officials. Um, and so this is not in your outline. It's one of the things that I adjusted as I had to go back through and redo my outline. Notice in Romans chapter 13 and verse 4. Romans chapter 13. So Paul is uh, talking to uh, those at Rome and he talks about the importance of um, the government officials in how God is using them. And, and you can see this even um, 
all the way back through the um, Old Testament, right? Uh, you look through the book of Daniel and you see that Nebuchadnezzar is told his role and how God was using him and that he was just a tool by God to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish and he didn't believe it. God had to give him a little object lesson and drove the man crazy. <laughs> then he came, came to believe, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That's um, nothing. <laughs> but here you see that these guys, uh, these governing, governing authorities, now remember this was given at a time when uh, Nero was on the throne. So the uh, governing authorities were probably a little worse than what you see today. I mean, they were some bad guys. They were putting people to death. And notice what Paul writes here in Romans chapter 13. He says, let every uh, soul or every individual be subject to higher powers or really is higher um, uh, subject to uh, the authorities. You don't quite hear that anymore, but that used to be the term that was used called the authorities. When was the last time you heard that? You don't hear that anymore, right? (laughs) Um, and that is, is used to be uh, really more of a proper thing. It's those who the authorities is exousia, those who have been given the right to rule. That's different from dunamis, which is a, to one who has the ability to rule. So this exousia implicit in it is that someone has been given the right to rule. And so. They, they, for there is no authority, but uh, it's really uh, from God or out from God. Um, the powers are really it's the authorities that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, or resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves that word for uh, damnation is um, actually it's a word crema. Uh, it's not uh, you're banished to hell. It's judgment. Now I think the judgment that he talks about here is going to be um, the fact. Well, he's going to tell you what the judgment is probably going to be uh, in verse three. For rulers are not a terror to good works. Uh, are not a terror to, uh, to good works, but to evil. So you have this um, contrast of agathos versus kakos, right? Now, agathos, as I've told you before, and I've said in other different forms, that agathos is a pivotal word because it's showing motivation. So I can do a good work or someone can do a good work and you can see those works and, and um, you might see that what I do is a beautiful thing on the outside. But what you don't understand and you cannot see is my motivation for doing those works. And I think that that's where Agathos comes in. It comes in because the Holy Spirit is the one that is providing the motivation for that work. And I really think that that's pivotal from God's point of view. See, some pe- people think just getting something done, as long as I do it, it doesn't really matter what my motivation is. I, I, don't, I think that from God's point of view, it's the total opposite. It's your motivation for what you do that is really at play. And so here, those who do things at, uh, or do a work inherently good, reasonably you can expect most of the time, even under even some of the evil dictators, 
that they're, they're not going to do anything to people who are doing things and operating out of an agathos mindset. And so then he uses the other side of that, which is evil, and it's kakos, and it's the use of the word of those who do things that are inherently evil. And it's really that kakos is more, I think, a personal evil. You're doing things for yourself. And, and it's not something that you're trying to do to even get anyone else involved in it. And so, but, but they are, they, but, um, but to evil, will thou then be not, af- not be afraid of the authority? Do that which is good and you shall have praise of the same. Now that doesn't mean that if you do good that you're going, everybody's going to get praise. This is generally speaking. Right. You might do Agathos good and they might say, OK, get rid of this person. <laughs> what country? But generally speaking, it is true that if you do that, which is Agathos, your chances of uh, the government officials doing evil things to you is probably going to be minimized. Now, that's not to say, and I do believe that in Scripture and we have evidence from Scripture that when the government tells me to do something that is not scriptural, or that I'm not led to do by the Spirit, I tell them to get lost. Do what you got to do, but you're not stopping me from doing this. You do what you got to do, but I'm, you're not going to stop me. You're not going to stop me from preaching. So you do what you have to do, but I'm going to still preach. And so notice in verse 4, For he is a, the minister of God to thee, for, for, and it's really for the good, but if thou uh, do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God. And notice it's interesting. It's a revenger. And we'll talk about this. This is really this idea of avenging to get justice for something that, that has been done that's evil. Uh, to execute wrath upon him that does evil. Wherefore, it must needs or it's necessary and it's interesting. We talk about the, um, the uh, constraint words, necessary words. Here's one right here. You have dad, which is a logical necessity. Um, we talked about one yesterday. Um, Ophelio, which is a moral necessity. This one is interesting. It's a different kind of necessity. It's a, a neke. And it has the idea that someone is constraining you to do something. You don't necessarily want to do it. They're constraining you to do it. Right? It's the uh, same word that is used in 2 Corinthians, uh, our offertory scripture. Not out of constraint. Don't give out of constraint. It's that same word. And so he says, uh, wherefore it is necessary, or this word translation, much needs, is actually our word. It is necessary that you be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. And so it's interesting, these guys, they, they avenge or they carry out justice. And you say, well, how are they carrying out justice? These people are evil. You know, it's interesting in some of these evil countries where you have evil rulers, um, the alternative many times is worse. If there is not uh, even these evil judges, an evil justice system, the alternative of there being anarchy is worse. There's been countries where you have people who are uh, who, where there's just anar- anarchy uh, reigning, and you have rogues of bandits 
that are running around from place to place just raping and pillaging everyone that they come in contact with. And if you were exposed to that, you say, okay, yeah, yeah I'll take the evil guy over here. <laughs> if I'm going to choose my choice, I'll take this evil guy over here. <laughs> and so that's the potential of what could happen in those situations. And so the, the God has allowed human government to make judgments. And we saw last week that one of the judgments that they can make, and they rightly have the responsibility and the authority of doing that, is to take life who takes another life. And I don't care how much people cry and scream, oh, that's immoral. You're not supposed to kill. And the hue and cry of it all. And, uh, you know, but what does scripture say? And he says it here. I like what Dr. Schaefer used to say is that the guy does not hold the sword to pick his teeth with. <laughs> They've been given the sword to take life. To take life particularly life of those, as we go back into Genesis, who um, take the lives of others. It's what they're supposed to be about. And so then you come to the members of the body of Christ, and what is the standard? It's interesting, there's no standard really that we can see here that these unsafe men are given, other than to, to, uh, to extract vengeance. Um, and that, that it doesn't say they're supposed to do it in a certain way. I would presuppose they would have to know God to understand that it's got to, it should be righteous. Uh, but they, they, there's no defined um, line that is giving them here. But when it comes to the church, now we're giving real specific standards about how the church ought to operate. And so there should be judgment in the church. And what is that judgment? Again, and we've said it up to this point and we'll say it again. It first starts with the believer judging himself. That's what really God wants, is for me to judge myself. Really, I shouldn't have to get, have anyone else to judge me. It's a shame when somebody else has, has to come in, and I, my business is all sloppy, and it's all out of control, and somebody has to come in and say, hey, you know what? Look at what you're doing here. This, this is an embarrassment to the church. You need to stop this. When it gets to that point, it's already gone too far. I should judge myself, right? I know what the standard, God's standard is. I should not be living by my sin nature. I should, I have an opportunity to overcome my spiritual enemies. At least I should know that. But you know what? There's been churches and I've seen it that people are oblivious to the fact of the sin nature. Like I said before, I've seen things that I can't unsee. <laughs> I was growing up in churches. I've seen people doing works of the flesh. I mean, just openly. And you say, yikes, don't you know that is not what you should be doing? Well, I didn't understand then as a kid what, that this actually fit into a category in Scripture. That's, uh, no, no. Now I look back on it and I'm thinking, oh, yikes. <laughs> what was going on in those situations? But, you know, when you understand and you're led by the Spirit, the Spirit's going to uh, guide you. He's going to grieve in you. And I should be able at some point to, in my relationship with the Father to confess sins, keep fellowship with the Father. I'm judging my own self. Now, when I fail to do that, 
Now the church has to jump, come in and not only judge those in that situation, but other matters between believers. So notice you see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six. And so uh, we'll come back to the issue of five. And we're going to keep coming back and forth here as we talk about different subject matters and see this from different points of view. But the issue was that in Corinth, they had these guys, the guy who was with his father's wife, as you know, and they didn't um, judge the guy. And there was some confusion about that. And then there was other matters that were going on when the believers had different issues between themselves. And so Paul wrote them in chapter 6, and he said, Dare any of you having a matter um, against another go to law, and this before the unjust, and not before the saints? And so these are issues that believers can have between me and Dan. We have an issue. Dan um, loaned me $50, and I didn't give it back to him. Right. <laughs> and so now, <laughs> so now Dan is saying, Kevin, you owe me fifty dollars, and I say, Dan, get lost. <laughs> You're not getting it. And so Dan needs that fifty dollars, and now it's a problem. It's more than just the money. Dan's got a problem with me. Well, someone needs to judge in this matter and find out what's going on before me and Dan bore our necks together <laughs> and we start, you know, duking it out like roosters, as I saw my two roosters the other day. <laughs> and so the church has been given the responsibility to judge in matters between believers. Believers ought not to be taking spats between believers to court. That should never happen. And someone say, well, where is the line with that? I mean, I don't know. As long as it's not a criminal matter. I mean, it should be, uh, you, the church should have the potential to be able to judge between it. It certainly have the authority in those areas. And so he says, do you not know, verse 2, that the saints shall judge the world? Well, I don't know about me. Um, I've never, I've, I only have about five, fifth grade education. What can I judge? You're going to judge angels. I think that qualifies you. I think that qualifies you. So that there's no one um, that doesn't meet that qualification in the body of Christ. And notice he's setting this in contrast now, if you mind, if you just look at this, you say, well, I'm going to judge angels. And you got these guys at the Supreme Court. Well, I've judged the abortion cases. Okay, let's compare this in terms of eternity. Who's going to be thinking about abortion at the Great White Throne Judgment? Nobody. Nobody. And what will that get you? At the Great White Throne Judgment? You might be there at the Great White Throne Judgment. I may be judging you. <laughs> but we have been, we have had our minds geared to follow how the world sees things. <clears throat> and believers won't let it go. Won't let it go. 
and it's just interesting to see. And notice he says, and since that word if there is, and since the world shall be judged by you. So you're going to stand at the great white throne judgment. We are going to judge everyone that comes before the great white throne judgment with Christ. Now you're going to tell me you can't judge in these little matters in the church? No, I didn't say that. Scripture says it. And he says, since the world shall be judged by you, are you not worthy um, to judge the smallest matters? Uh, or really, it's the, the smallest things of this biological life or the things pertaining. You have a, a word here, bio um, um, tikka, and that last part of that is the things pertaining to this biological life. You see that? And so, know ye not that you shall judge angels? How much more the things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life or this biological life, and that's, that's pretty inclusive of a lot of things. Uh, set them to judge those who are least esteemed in the church. I speak this to your, your shame. And so I really think in these kind of matters as you, we continue to look at this and we'll come back to it, this idea of least esteem, those who are of no account. So they're not the people out front. They're not the people that are the most popular. It's just the opposite of that. <laughs> I've often said today, I would not want to be judged by a jury of my peers. I pray to God that I never get in trouble of any sort. I just don't trust people today. <laughs> Some of their thinking is just really flawed. I would really hate, have to hate to say, but for other believers, when you get someone who has the right way of seeing things because they're in the right relationship with the Holy Spirit, that they can be objective, that's a whole different ballgame. And so notice he says, um, he goes on in verse 7, Now therefore there is an utterly fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, you do wrong and you defraud and that your brother. And then he goes on to talk about the unrighteous. And so this is an issue and we'll come back through here on a different path. But we'll see that this is a, there's a standard in the church about how the church is to judge. And so, um, and, and we see that. The other thing that you see there's a standard is to, in this dispensation, and I put Matthew 7, and actually, I think we can go to Romans 2 to prove this, that you should not judge uh, hypocritically, right? And so, uh, now the word for, uh, is in Matthew um, 7, or actually it's 15 is where, um, um, wanted to go, well, look at 7, and then we'll go to 15, because 15 is just an illustration, Matthew chapter 7. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, you see the Lord introduces this as a rule of life for the millennial kingdom, That you, and, and this is probably an axiom that's probably true, that you shouldn't judge hypocritically. You should not judge some, someone 
that if, if I'm doing the same thing, everybody understands this, right? That this is not a good thing to do. If I'm doing something uh, and then I come and tell you you shouldn't do that very same thing, how can, how? How can I tell you to stop doing something even if it's wrong and I'm doing the same thing? And so here you have that word that is used there. He says, um, no, I don't think it actually is used here, but it's the concept here in verse uh, in, in seven. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment that you judge, you shall be judged. And with the measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But consider not the beam in your own eye. And so the contrast here is that you're nitpicking some little thing that your brother is doing. In this context, it would be another Jew. And yet you are doing something actually much worse than that. <laughs> I mean, it's not even comparable. And then uh, and he says, um, um, Or how would thou say to thy brother, let me pull the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in our own eye. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there it is, I'm sorry. In verse 5, thou hypocrite, first uh, cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then uh, thou will see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. And so this word for hypocrite, it's actually used um, several times in, in uh, New Testament. And so notice the, the base use of this word is, uh, now I give it this definition, one whose lips speak one thing, but his heart is clinging to another. And so you see this idea of uh, hypocrisy all through, and the Lord just kind of uh, castigates the, um, the Jewish leaders because of their hypocrisy uh, over and over and over again. Instead of going to the, uh, the uh, 15th chapter, let's go to uh, 20, the 23rd chapter. I think he uses it there quite often. Of Matthew. <clears throat> and so notice here, I really would think, think that what the Lord is doing is he's exposing these Jewish leaders for the, hypoc the hypocrites that they are. And notice what he says that they do. They say, but do not. Right? They're just a bunch of outward-looking people that are, that are full of a bunch of hypocrisy. It's all a show. And so notice what he says in verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying to the scribes and the Pharisees, Sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens grievous to be borne and lay them up on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And this is what hypocrites do. You know, it's an interesting thing. You go over to Galatians, the sixth chapter. Well, hold your finger here. I want to show you the New, New Testament hypocrites. These people who say that you should be under law. Do you realize most of these people who say that you should be under law they are not, they don't observe the law of their own selves. This is the craziest thing. They go out and they try to get converts to live by law that they themselves don't live by. It's just an outward show. <laughs> it's just the, the biggest hypocrisy. 
that there is. And so notice in the sixth chapter, he says in verse 12, for as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. And these people say, oh yeah, I, I obey every commandment. I've obeyed them all. And as I always say, all you, you can find this out pretty quickly. Just ask their family members. They'll tell you all you need to know and more, <laughs> right? They'll tell you everything. In fact, ask their kids. Those are the ones you really should ask because they're very honest. <laughs> they won't hold back. And, you know, it's just, it's nonsense. But notice in verse uh, 15, 13 of the Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom from the heaven against men, and you neither go in yourself, neither you suffer them that are entering in to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, you shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Well, you wouldn't be trying to win people over and talk to them this way. He was really, I think he was, as someone said, goading them to kill him. You wouldn't talk to them this way. I mean, I could just see them as he was talking to them. They were seething. This is the same group of people that told the blind man in John 9, you be a sinner born from birth and you will teach us. Right? <laughs> the Lord was goading them. And so notice he says in 26, you blind Pharisee, clean first that which is within the cup and platter and the outside of them, that the outside may be clean also. And he, he just goes on. And so this ideal of hypocrisy, judging people when you're going to judge and people are going to judge, it has to not be hypocritical. I can't judge and sit in judgment of someone else if I'm doing the very thing that they're doing. And I'm afraid for some of your judges today, that's probably why they render bad judgments. They're doing some of the very things that the people standing before them are doing. And many of them probably are not qualified, uh, as you're finding out about some of these judges and some of the things that they've, they've done. Um, judgment should be uh, um, absence from hypocrisy. Another place I want to show you that, and before we leave there, is Romans chapter 2. Because uh, Paul called the Jews again to count um, on the fact of this idea of, of hypocrisy. And notice in verse 1, he says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemns thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them that commit such things. And thinketh thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and doeth the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? And so this is what the Jews were doing. They're judging one. They're judging someone over some issue that they're doing, but they're doing the very same thing. And so this idea of judgment, it has to be absent of hypocrisy, has to be something that is just, and we've talked about that. Um, and then you have this issue of situational judgment, and we talked about that. 
um, and that it shouldn't be according to one's inclinations. And so uh, the Lord really uh, dealt with the Jews again. They were judging according to appearance and according to the word uh, uh, the flesh, you see it in, in John eight fifteen, according to human nature. And so you can't, I mean, look, if, if you're going to judge, and, and people do this, they make judgments upon the basis of what seems to be right. And it's not always accurate. And then according to uh, who, whom it is that they're, they're, um, they're judging. Judgment is to be designed to, to uh, produce vindication, uh, which we saw in Romans chapter 13. And we'll look at this a little bit more because one of the things that this word for indico, uh, uh, and it actually has this idea to give justice to someone that has been wrong. It's to mete out justice. And so there is vengeance. So you are wronged. You go to court. You want there to be justice. Somebody has to mete out to this person what they deserve based upon what they did. Right. And from a believer's standpoint, we'll look at this because this word is used of the believers. And it says in Romans uh, 12, 19, um, that the believers are not supposed to seek this vengeance. God's the one that's going to judge and mete out the vengeance for what people did that were wrong to you. Well, let's just see that as an example. Look at Romans twelve nineteen. Some people are, are sick with this, right? You know, you, you feel for some of these families that have had some bad thing happen. Somebody killed their loved one or whatnot, and they will not rest. I've seen people absolutely lose their minds because they become preoccupied with this person getting what be- belongs to them, right? Getting what they deserve. And they become sick with it. Um, and it can do that to you. And so uh, sometimes when you see that it doesn't happen because you're in a fallen world with a justice system that is not right, you oftentimes do not get what uh, the person doesn't get what they deserve. I mean, you see someone kill someone and murder someone and they get 10 years prison, you know, or some something crazy. Um, and so that can really uh, um, get you really upset. Now, notice with regard to believers, this word is used of believers in Romans 12. And notice in verse uh, 19, uh, start with uh, 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Uh, really, it's uh, evil in exchange for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Do that which is good. Again, there's that word kalos. You know, when you see people do things that are right as they're prompted by the Holy Spirit, doesn't it look beautiful? It just looks beautiful when you see it in appearance. When you see people who act right, who speak right, it's just beautiful. And so notice he says, If it is possible, as much as it lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Or really, it's since it does lie with you. Since it is possible. It is possible. Live peaceably with all men. Verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. 
but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I will give back, says the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. And then he ends with this. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil by the good. And the good is the word agathos, actually. And I just think that you cannot do this if you're not spirit-filled. This is an impossible task for anyone to try to do on their own strength. It's not, it's not possible that you can do this if you're not spirit-filled. And so um, that's it. We wanted to get through those um, um, the standards for judgment, and then we'll pick up next week and talk about um, uh, scripture, the various judgments uh, through the dispensations.